Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave, really delayed. <laughs> and I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, A New Year, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies both new and old with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. Ah. Drinking game! Negative oh. criticism about a film is allowed, but it will be called out for. You will hear this sound. You'll hear what sound? <laughs> You'll hear a sound, that and that sound. means that, that you have it's to going, drink. It's going we'll well. <laughs> we, Who said 2021 was going to be better? drink along with us. It's that sound. There you go. It's that sound. There it is. Jesus. <laughs> so pour yourselves a beer, because I think I've had six. <laughs> Give it up for the films we love and perhaps the films that need some love. Yeah. We have a new format that we are going to premiere today, or at new. least a new idea um, for everybody reading the episode's titles. We are really excited to be talking about these two films. But first, let's send it right over to John for some shout-outs. All right, as always, the shout-outs. This is a special shout-out for our beer sponsor, Mr. Carlos Barozzo. If you guys want to hold up your brews, Dave and Jeff picked up some of our homemade The Love of Cinema Pod brews. They're drinking them. I am taking my first sip of it right now. How are they, guys? Yeah, let me know how they are. And then... Can you see his logo? Oh, it's blurry. Is it delicious? Mm, brewed by carlos barroza Ooh, that's good his name is carlos barroza he's got a handle on instagram at cbarroza bar 2019 that's c-b-a-r-r-o-z-o-b-a-r 2019 if you want to give him a follow and support but the pod support carlos support the home brews and as always the music here on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist dasein that's dasein d-a-s-e-i-n and you can find this music and all the music available for free downloads at soundcloud.com forward slash dasein dash artist yeah. All right, you guys. Let's let's do it, man. Did, yeah. did you, did, Jeff? Did you get a letter in your box with the with the beer when it yeah, turned up? Yeah, it was up? nice, right? Yeah, it was nice. It was great. I love oh it. Oh my god! Like a yeah. handwritten. Letter. It was a handwritten letter, and uh, <laughs> yes. yeah, and on the back of it was a list of exactly what all, what each of the beers are because oh. he's like I. The notes, I've got I've yeah, got beer for six incredible. shows. Yeah, yeah, so yeah he gave us a lot. Oh god, I'm so jealous, Carlos. I'm just love I'm just you, kidding. Man. All the beer's gone. What do I do with the empty <laughs> bottles? Oh yeah, we used to return the empty bottles, but oh, maybe dude. not this time. We'll talk to Carlos about that. Ah, thank you so much, Carlos. It was so good to see you the other day. Everybody, give Carlos a follow. He is going through a certification right now to become yeah. a beer som, and he's very, very, very excited about that. More info if you follow him, I'm sure. So we have decided that since we have a little bit of a buffer before so-called awards season. Um, so a lot of these movies have been released in December, but nobody really knows where to find them without, you know, putting yourself and your family at risk. So um, since all these movies got dumped and they're going to be slowly on the, the ones that aren't already streaming are basically we're hoping going to be unveiled <laughs> in the next two or three months. The Oscars are going to be in April this year. So nominations aren't even coming out till March. What we are going to do is we are going to talk about a so-called Oscar movie, um, which it's not for the sake of praising awards or votes or that kind of stuff. It's more so going to be relevant movies that perhaps are good that, you know, we should talk about before they sort of slip us by. But since we are a drinking podcast, we like to redeem a so-called bad movie. So we are pairing each <laughs> Oscar movie with a presumed Razzie movie. For those of you who don't know what the Razzies are, the Razzies are generally the quote-unquote worst movies of the year. It's not really true, but it's always the night before the Oscars. So Sandra Bullock very famously won a Razzie the I mean, night before yeah. she won an Oscar. It's it's usually it's usually, it's usually just in good in, fun. well, yeah. I mean as, as as good of fun as it could possibly be. And to be fair to to those who end up winning Razzies, I've heard some great acceptance speeches yes. out of the Razzies. To be fair to to <laughs> um to the 
to the people who have quote unquote won or I guess lost Razzies in the past. Um, it's usually just movies that were pans that didn't do well, and they basically blame the cast and crew for them, if that makes sense. So um, we're talking about this week, it's going to be Doolittle, which stars Robert Downey Jr., which came out in January of this year, and we'll talk more about, you know, it, it got delayed and kind of stuffed to January. So the narrative was already written, like, oh, this movie probably sucks before it came out. And even though it was a year ago, it's just a fun excuse to make Robert Downey Jr. up for the quote-unquote worst actor of the year. Is he the worst actor of the year? Of course not. But that's basically what the Razzies does. And first, we're going to be talking about Spike Lee's To Five Bloods, because we're trying to do this in the order that they came out. So Defy Bloods was released in the summer on Netflix, as you probably recall. Uh, And Doolittle, of course, came out in January. And then we are going to move through the presumed Oscar favorites, uh, supposedly in order of release date over the course of the next 10 to 15 weeks until the Oscars. Yeah. And just to clarify, we didn't... uh, Does that sum it up? We are not making this list of Razzies or this list of predictions. We have tried to do a little research on the internet. So this is not just us telling you what we think are the best and worst. We are going to determine for ourselves, based on our conversations, what are our favorites and by the end of this thing hopefully we'll be able to like put together yeah yeah some maybe some predictions maybe some things that we feel passionately about razzy wise but you know these are people on the internet that are rumored to be predicted to win stuff or to lose or win razzies however you want to call it and i think we are calling this whole 15 week segment thing that it was the best of film and it was the worst of film for 2020 so even though this is a Going to have some movies that came out in 2021. We are talking about the year 2020, which anyone who follows the Oscars knows that when you're talking about the Oscars of 2021, yeah. you're you're talking about the previous season. So I know sometimes people get confused. Yeah. When Basically, they think we're about talking about Oscar the prospective was. awards yeah. season for 2021. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're going to be talking about two movies. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So yeah, let's do it. So we're going to be yeah, talking about one Oscar let's movie and one Razzie movie. Our Oscar movie is going to be Defy Bloods. Our Razzie movie is going to be Do Little. And we will introduce some frontrunner things just so you know what, what's what's going on and, and what people are talking about. But we are not going to approach this as what should or shouldn't. And I don't. I also don't want this to be a comparative yeah. segment where we're trying to say, Absolutely is not. this yeah. as good as whatever last week's movie was? That's not what this is about. We're just talking about the movies that people are talking about. Here we go. Duh. And, Sorry. Really fast. And just just to be uh, clear, obviously we'll, we'll prove it with these, these first two movies. We have selected the movies that you can also find on streaming services. This is not stuff. We are not encouraging you to go to the movie theater and see stuff. If you don't feel safe, we obviously respect that when everybody be safe. So our hmm. list are movies that are available on streaming. So please feel free to follow along. Watch yeah. these movies ahead of time. We'll post out our whole slate this week and make sure people can follow along if they want on social media. Anyway, sorry. And to this is this is great for me because every year no we I, like when the like the potential Oscar nominations come out, I'm like, oh, I've got to see all these films so I can like tune in and be a part of it. And I never get around to seeing the Oscar noms. Yeah. I, I managed to catch I managed to catch yeah. most of the Razzies. Well, and then and then sometimes <laughs> they slip you by. Sometimes what, Jeff? Yeah, exactly. And somehow this year, Dave has only seen Razzie films. We literally were going through the Razzie films, and Dave was like, "I saw that. I saw that. I saw that. Year, I saw okay? that." Um, okay, let's do. Let's. We'll, we'll talk about them in order here. So we're gonna do Defy Bloods. It came out in the summer, so this is Spike Lee directed. Yeah. He had a huge <clears throat> Netflix deal. Um, I do think it's important for us to say that this oh, also was yeah. released not too long after the the George the, Floyd the civil rights. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was almost smack guess, bang in the middle of it. Um, Protests all over the world, right? After George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. Yeah, it kind of came out in the middle of it. Uh, the official release date, according to Netflix, was June 12th. 
All right. So yeah, middle of the summer, everybody's still pretty much isolated, but seeing the world go go in absolute outrageous, egregious murder of George Floyd and all the other systematic racial oppression. Um, and of course, Spike Lee has this movie um, mm-hmm. ready to come out on Netflix. So it was very, 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 very well-timed. Um, what the movie is about is, according to, I'm just going to read the IMDb description, four African-American vets battle the forces of the when they return to Vietnam, seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them hide. Those four African-American vets are played by, in no particular order, Clark Peters, who you may know from The Wire and Treme, Norm Lewis, who is a very big Broadway actor, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who John has a a bobblehead somewhere of him saying shit, which he is very famous for. Um, And then... Just just to maybe talk about the Oscars for the last time for a little bit, Delroy Lindo is getting a shit ton of buzz for Best Supporting Actor. Again, we're not here to say whether or not he should win it in our books necessarily, but he was fucking, as were they all, but he just happened to have that role. A lot of attention to be talked about in the next couple months for a lot of reasons, but definitely for him. So that's the four. And then you also have um, the character, Del- Delroy Lindo's character, Sonathan, who is a breakout star this year. And then there's other actors, including Jean Renault who you may know from other films. And then, of course, Chadwick Boseman and Norman, who, if you're watching this, I I watched this Mm. film this summer, but re-watching it now, Chadwick Boseman's character is the character in the film who dies in Vietnam, that they are going back to find his body and the gold, and they intend on bringing Chadwick Boseman's um, character's body back to America in. So it it does have that, not that it needs it, but it does have like an extra emotional kick if you watch it now. Um, Chadwick Boseman, RIP. So yeah. that's the that's I mean, the pitch. To his credit, Before he still I, looked I fantastic. Oh God, yeah. dude, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Let's let, let's just talk about him first in here because f- he was my favorite part of this movie. Um, yeah. He had a couple <laughs> scenes. He it, because it was in flashbacks, it was definitely height. Um, so they were they were very emotional scenes. They were scored differently. Very patri- um, he monologues about. Um, how the the them the five bloods the five of them deserve this gold. Um, they they call it reparations, but but basically just years of oppression and and hmm. you know the disproportionate amount of African American soldiers fighting in Vietnam um, compared to the the percentage of African Americans living in America. You know it's almost um, compared to their their counterparts who are white soldiers. Yeah. And so just like the monologues, Chadwick Boseman was so fucking awesome in this movie. So if if for nothing mm-hmm. else, like God damn it, watch it for him. He's uh, I thought it was, I think it's really powerful. Yeah. If just talking about him, um, what's his name's character? Uh, I think it's Clark Peters is narrating who's playing Otis. So he's kind of telling this story and in these flashbacks, uh, which is a very effective device that I didn't mind at all. Um, the actors that we listed who play the four leads in present day also play themselves, not with any young makeup or anything. They are just dressed up as though they were flashing back in real time. So Chadwick is much younger than them, of course, but you know the impression is that they are remembering this and they don't have young actors play them. So Otis is talking about that scene you're talking about where Chadwick is saying we should take the gold and here's why. And Otis has a little narrative monologue right after that speech Chadwick gives about how Norman talked about black history and civil rights and black rights before it was even popular. You know, he was doing it when Uh, This is the cusp of some of the civil rights movements that kind of bled into the 70s, where Black Panthers rose up more intensely. Muhammad Ali was talking. And it affected me very specifically this time because, uh, again, I watched it in the summer as well. But um, Chadwick, 
has played Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall. He's, he's played some like heavy hitter, uh, black American icons who clearly spent their life monologuing about that stuff and fighting for it in the courts and and doing whatever they need to do in sports to to make change. So it's cool watching him play for I'll put this in quotes a regular guy that got drafted into Vietnam and. He was the mouthpiece that I enjoyed the most in this movie for talking about big picture black issues in America and American history, but also specifically what it felt like for black people to be drafted into that fucking war. So the whole movie is talking about it and maybe a little too much in other ways. For me, Chadwick was the mouthpiece that worked best for me. So it was just so, it was such a breath of fresh air every time the aspect ratio changed and we went into a flashback and Chadwick got some of the limelight. God, he's just one of the greatest of all time. And I think Spike wrote his character the best, personally. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I deliberately waited to I deliberately ah. waited to the end for the gush. Yeah. I love I love Chadwick. Yeah. So no, good, that so was good. that was a that was a solid gush. That was a great entry in. Um I'll, I'll tell you, um <laughs> this this one and like when you said with the the like the older actors play themselves young, but they play themselves like they, there's nothing done to yeah. them to de-age them. It's the same guy. Yeah. At first, I was like, like the aspect ratio changed. I'm like, what's going on? And then it was they're in the chopper, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's a flashback. And then they show the other guys. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, at first, you're very disoriented by it. Um, and I think he was like, some people probably said they're going to be disoriented by this, and he was like, I don't give a fuck. Like this is how we're doing it, and it was great. Like after, so too, yeah. yeah, after like once I settled in and realized what they were doing, I was like, no, this is, this is really good. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, that effect was it fun. Was, yeah. And um, I tell you what, like it or not, anytime you watch a Spike Lee film, you're going to learn something. And yeah. this one is full of them. Um, once or twice I found it maybe a touch intrusive, but oh, none yeah. of them yeah. were irrelevant. Should... Like none of, all of them the were there for shots. a reason. Um, because he, when he throws Spike a lot of historical talks, references and then snapshot pictures up mm-hmm. in this movie where they say, no, we should talk about this guy. Boom, picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this started a really good discussion about uh, like the draft itself. And it was like, well, is it like because the draft was still happening in Vietnam in this country, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they were. Dra- oh, there was a. Yeah. When the, I, when they threw through the Vietnam War. So yeah, yeah, through the Vietnam War. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, OK, so the draft was supposed yeah. to be random. So how did we end up with. Are you actually a predominant asking? amount. There was an ex- there's an like exception. I, I am I am very curious. I, yeah. I did like because I only the, watched it last night and I didn't have time to to look it up this morning. There was uh, there okay. was a big exemption list. You could buy your way out, and there was a lot of opportunity for upper middle class, more privileged people who were in educational pathways, college mm-hmm. or some kind of other training that were basically exempted. So what does that leave? Poor yeah. people. Yeah. Okay. And, cool. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought it they, was. They drafted only a small percentage of students. Very, very small percentage because they probably mm. assumed that most of them were affluent. Yeah. Probably, you know, disproportionately I mean, white. Again, um, this is yeah, this is, a, and I know, I know why this is getting some Oscar buzz because this is a film that is it's very confronting on many levels. Mm-hmm. Like he really sells home the atrocities of Vietnam War. There is some very graphic imagery used throughout the film. He doesn't pull punches. If anything, it fucking throws punches real hard yeah. about this about the war. Um, I did recognize a few locations because I've actually been to Vietnam yeah. uh, in, in to Saigon Not recently, right? Um, cool. And the, I didn't the know that. Uh, yeah, years ago. 
um, the the majestic hotel that they stayed in was the hotel I stayed in. Yeah. Oh, I was like, what? yeah. Did it have and, a giant uh, Apocalypse Now poster behind the DJ? It in the did not. Did you find that a little bit thick? I mean, I know it was inspired by it, and I don't know. Did yeah. they lay it on I a mean, bit thick? That's kind of my, if if I have an issue with Spike, it's it's that. I think sometimes he, sometimes I wonder. I'm not saying this because I know the answer. I'm asking it as a question, and I often find myself asking this in some of his films that I struggle with more. If he had a a lighter touch with his allusions and references to to film hmm. and to to contemporary things that we're talking about, whether it's like in this film, Black Lives Matter or something else, if he had a lighter touch or a more analogous approach to those things, would it work better for me? Is it too on the nose sometimes? Is it too in my face sometimes? I mean, although I'm not so we're positive, saying, we're but sometimes that, it takes me out of it. We're saying that as the audience we are. I, I feel like the statement he's right. making there is we tried to be subtle about this. You didn't listen. For, exactly. and, for and fucking that's always how I feel about 70 it. years, yeah. 60 years, whatever, for like 100 years, yeah. you haven't listened. So we're not going to be subtle about it anymore. Yeah, and I, I sure guess the, enough, only thing yeah. That, the only thing that I consistently find myself thinking is that this is just a personal thing that John Say enjoys. My biggest personal changes that I get out of art are when I have a, whether it's an illusion or not, that is created by the, the filmmaking team. If I have an opportunity to discover that truth, through the story for myself, I often stick with it more because I feel like I've earned it as an audience member. There's something very personal that I have hmm. as opposed to being told or preached to sometimes. And sometimes I feel like Spike is very loud and proud and I never mind it, but I almost never feel like I discover stuff. I'm learning stuff. I'm hearing facts maybe I've never heard before, but I feel like he's very upfront about his messaging. And sometimes like, like this story, I feel like there are some things that are happening in the the later the present day story when they're older and they're going back mm -hmm. that feel a little too on the nose for me to to have I don't know. I feel like there were the flashbacks work better for me because all those same themes are there in the flashbacks, but they're yeah. living it. There were there and were a couple of times there were a couple of times where I was like, that probably could have been snipped or you we didn't really need some scenes, but it, it was only for a minute. Like there was some times where it was, it was like, this is going on for long, a long time. But the, like the one scene where they were um, like, as they're searching for the gold and I should point out that we are discussing this with spoilers. We yeah, put it, we put out, links, we yeah. put out links a couple of days ago uh, on the Facebook page, telling you where to find this film. If you didn't watch it, it's on you. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, basically where they, they accidentally find the gold and then they're all running down the hill digging and they've got the metal detector and it goes on and they find a piece here and then they find a piece here and then they find a piece here and they find and it went on for so long but i about halfway through it i realized i'm feeling tense as fuck and i'm like why am i feeling tense as fuck it's because there's a scene about landmines about 15 mm -hmm. minutes back and i'm just waiting for someone to find one mm -hmm. and i feel like that's why that went on for so long to to like make you tense to make yeah. you feel well, uneasy not it, then. And then it didn't happen. Yeah, not then. Not then, but it, it, it does, but it didn't, yeah. <laughs> and see, that's like a, just a really well-crafted sequence, yeah. in my opinion. And that's one of those where, like... But at first, I, I thought it was a mistake. Oh, like, I thought, no, he's done this wrong. It's really dragged out. But there was a, and then I went back and thought about it, and there's a reason for it. And if nothing else, Spike makes you fucking think. It does make you think. Jeff, what do you think about... Because I think you and I spoke briefly off-air when we both saw this movie. What did you think about... 
the number one critique that I'm seeing when I'm kind of reading on the internet about this movie and when people, when it first came out, uh, and this is from Spike Lee Lovers, um, is that this was one of the first times he's teamed up outside of a production company that was releasing this to a movie theater. So this is a Netflix release. Um, he had full control, you know, full control, final cut. Uh, it was a very long movie and the editing is getting some critiques from people who don't seem to usually even think about editing. Um, so obviously you're going to be going back and forth between flashbacks and current day. There's also, there's multiple stories that are happening, if you will, uh, in the current day stuff, because the guys are dealing with themselves and each other, kind of the reunion story of these men getting back together. And also the, the narrative plot of them trying to go back, find this gold and bring it back home and try to find Norm's bones. Did it flow for you? Did you feel like it edit the editing was pretty good? Or did you feel like there was maybe something that could have been cut out? Or how did you guys feel when you finished it? Or whether while you were watching it, were you, were you, was it stop and start for you at all? Good question. So first things first, I watched this in the summer. And then as I'm about to rewatch it, I'm talking to a couple just friends, family. Um, I've heard a couple people say, oh, yeah, that movie. Yeah. It was a little boring. And I was like, okay, well, it's it's the funny thing about it is there's so many parts of this movie that are so exciting, important, patriotic, dramatic. The opening montage, all the snapshots are so exciting. Obviously, it has the Apocalypse Now and the Treasure of the Sierra Madre um, kind of you know plot devices that it could kind of fall into if it needed to. So I'm watching this, and my first two notes are basically like, I love the opening to set the tone, and I love um, just a couple little exposition things that Spike is doing really well right off the bat. Like, for instance, it's like, the five bloods are back that we don't divide we multiplied and somebody says soon to be five which is like the exposition like oh they're here for that more heartfelt purpose and then like oh yeah soon to be five because they're gonna go and get their fifth blood back and so i was like okay cool that's like really good and then immediately after that all of the exposition was clunky for me and that was my note clunky that I, I i don't know what the tone was and and, and i don't mean to say this like i i, I would have any sense that i understand yeah, yeah, you don't have the than, answer right then yeah, spike exactly. but there there's a there are a couple scenes in this opening that just turn into melodrama out of nowhere which is fine it didn't pull off there were a couple that were just really clunky and then they edited out so quick like so for instance <laughs> you had the one guy who had the one leg who's like gi 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 getting money from him if you guys know exactly what i'm talking yeah. about and i was like this is good because they were in a good mood and then it brought a new emotion in Right, this guy kind of made it solemn, and then now that they're solemn, they talk about solemn things. It was a good transition, but then when he comes back and he just shouts "GI" and the fireworks go off, and then it cuts out so fucking fast that I was like, "What was the point of doing that if you didn't even let it land?" And then that would happen later with Chekhov's grenade. Oh, the grenade! He jumps on it, and then it cuts away so fast that I didn't even get to appreciate him doing this. Um, the Delroy scene, and I understand that sometimes it's cool to be stark and move on, but I didn't find myself personally invested in this as much as just the story itself. The story itself is so good. I, I, I've seen this movie and the story that plays back in my head is more exciting to me than the actual film I saw, which is, which mm. is too bad because I love Spike and Do the Right Thing was the best movie that I watched last year, my favorite movie that I watched last year. But this movie, I, I'm going to forget about it again after the second time I watched it. Uh, some things are going to stay with me, but... But yeah, I, I did think it was some of the. Yeah, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna agree with you, man. Big time. Jeff, you have an outstanding there, drink penalty. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't hear it, Dave. For oh, it fuck. was very, oh my it was God. very Sorry, quiet. I, I didn't hear it, Dave. Sorry. Sorry. The buzz was quiet. Um, this was. Yeah, so, it's my fault. Uh, I've talked about this before on this show. The the biggest compliment I do want to give to Spike is that um, uh, I I've said before that you don't 
it's up to us to lift themes. You know, I, I want to believe Spike's a, you know, he's a talented writer and I don't think he's trying to write too toward themes. So I was trying to kind of look at this and as I'm following along his story, and I agree with you, like that story that they're doing is compelling. So I was trying to just mostly concentrate on that, like the actual narrative plot. And I think he has a lot of interesting commentary on, and I, I'm not saying that this is the answer, but I was questioning, is it commenting on, you know, it wasn't gold that they earned necessarily, but they felt it was there. So the black man feeling that he has to, no, I have to take this. This is mine. I've earned this, even though they didn't hand it out to us, but it is ours and we, we have earned it in our eyes. And then in the future, these men deciding to go get what is theirs, as well as, as Norm's remains, of course, but to go get what, the, what is theirs, what they've earned, is based on this belief that, no, you got to take what's yours. you got to get what's yours because it's not going to be handed to you. And in the end of this movie, it tears them apart and kills most of them. Yeah. And I was curious just about what Spike was trying to say, because I know, is there conflict in this, in this notion that has been around in African-American culture so long, unfortunately, that they're not going to be handed anything, that they do have to take it? And I just thought it was, I thought it was, I did find that very powerful that he was playing with that theme. So let me try to say this correctly. As a story device, the way it plays out, I'm not sure it was super clean for me. But when I reflect on this movie thematically, he's playing with balls of fire, as he always does. And, and I appreciate the conversation mm. that this kind of movie is going to elicit if you allow yourself to talk about it with somebody who's seen it. I'm just not sure it watches as well as the conversation might be. You might yeah, have more interesting it, conversation yeah. than a, than a I watch. I mean, it, it definitely inspires conversation, but there, I, I, there are some yeah. some points yeah. where it just, like, went on for too long. We're, like, we're two hours in and we're still getting character development. That was, like, I was like, you should, by this point, you should be, like, wrapping up. Yeah, the, the yeah. Norm Lewis, the, the Norm Lewis, that final Norm yeah. Lewis scene really didn't work for me. And I mean, it's too bad I like Norm a lot, really? but it was like... like the, the one in the in the forest, in the in the river? Because, yeah. I mean, that worked The one where he was because... basically saying it was all a lie. And I was like, well, I didn't really care about it in the first place. So the, well, now the, I don't care no, that the it's scene, a lie. The scene in the river where he turns up in like modern times for the first time ever. Um, I think that that scene worked for me because, in my opinion, it's one of the most beautifully shot scenes in the movie. The one where he's walking backwards? No, the one, uh, the one where they at, at the river where Norm appears to him at the end. Yeah, you're talking. Oh, about, was, I, I meant Norm about, Lewis, um, the actor. Sorry, oh, I meant okay. Norm Lewis, the, the actor. Eddie. No, no, I think you were talking me, about Eddie's. Yeah, Eddie is his name. Sorry, 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 guys. Yes, Eddie's mm. scene where he basically says, "Oh, all the exposition I said to you before, forget it." And I was like, "Well, I didn't really care about it in the first place, to be honest with you." So, um, mm. damn it. Sorry. <laughs> God damn it. I didn't want to be so hard on this movie. Because <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll okay, tell you what. All of the. Just, just quickly. Uh, All the Storm point. and Norm things, I loved every single one of them. Every Chadwick Boseman scene, I thought was great, especially when he came comes back to them in the, that the first monologue he gives about how the gold is theirs, and then again the river scene. Yeah, Dave, those were standouts for me. Yeah, um, I just want to say as well that like the cinematography in this, you've got three different aspect ratios in the movie. Yeah. So they mm -hmm. like they start off with a two point three nine for the cities. Um, and they actually shot on it was again a mixed format cinematography. We ran into a few of those. Um, last year. So they actually shot this on uh, Ari LF and an Ariflex 416, which is a 16 millimeter camera. Nice. I was so, curious if they did that. Yeah. If they did that. In well, post. so okay, yeah. no, it was it was literally shot. The all the Vietnam stuff was was shot on the 16 mil. Um, the holiday footage with the little camera that is shooting. Um, that like that they had on them. That was an eight millimeter film. 
Don't ask me where they yeah. they found fucking Etrichrome film. I'm sure it was Spikes, but, um, probably. <laughs> but no, don't ask me where they found the film for that. Um, the stock, but yeah, the yeah. Uh, the Arri LF is the new. It's the Arri large format camera, so you get an extra like I want to say right. twenty degrees out of your lenses. So mm-hmm. like they had two point three nine aspect ratio for the cities, um, and then the one point three three for the sixteen mil. And then when you get in the jungle, and I, I read a, a discussion with the cinematographer and Spike, basically, where they were saying, in the jungle, we wanted to have it surround them. We wanted to make it huge. We wanted them to be small in it. So they went to this large format camera where you get an extra, like, you know, 15, 20% of your lens and filmed all that in almost full screen. It's, all, it's basically 16 by 9. So, mm-hmm. that, so that they were tiny in the fit. And, like, that's that's a level of, balls in cinematography that hadn't occurred to me i could do um because it's yeah. like you don't you don't think oh, i'm going to change this aspect ratio four times during the film and fuck you you'll come along and they did and it worked and they I used it cool. they used yeah. it smart they used it real smart as well it's it's not just doing it for the sake of doing it this this it had a reason shout out to uh nyu grads i listened to a podcast with angley recently and him and he was talking about spike and going to school with them and uh angley loves playing with changing aspect ratios and he's very interested in mm. that he was talking about how spike does it so like super effective i want to make two last points and i'll bring it back to jeff for the second one the first one's just going to be very very quick uh you you commented on i wasn't sure what the tone was the score did not help me figure out what the tone was the sound editing mm. of the score and the sound of the score i just wasn't quite sure how they were using it and what it was supposed to be doing for me it was a little you know, it was a bombastic kind of patriotic war war sound. And I didn't mind the actual music that was written, but I wasn't quite sure the way they were using it, if it was supposed to make me feel, I wasn't sp- sure how I was supposed to feel. And whenever I start thinking about that, of course, it's just, I'm a little bit out of the movie if, if it's yeah. making me think. There were a lot of things like music. that. Like the music was just that little bit off. And then the, the characters also made some weird choices in the situations as well for me. Okay. So, so that's what I'm, I, I think Jeff hit it on the head earlier. And I'm I'm glad you referenced do the right thing because that's going to be our, that's going to be the what I'm basing everything on. Spike has so successfully as he did with do the right thing and in many other movies worked with melodrama and satire, uh, tonally, and, and stylistically. So I'm talking performances. I'm not just talking director's tone that mm. he is helping create with editing and sound and everything. Directing performances. This was one of the movies. That anyone who saw Black Klansman, you got to see some of his satirical tone. Worked wonderfully. Bamboozled, satirical tone. Do the right thing. Melodrama. Like, so he loves playing with both of these. I think even um, Malcolm X has a lot of melodramatic effect to it. There's a lot of grounded stuff in there as well. This felt to me like I'm not sure if everyone was in the same movie all the time. I'm not sure if Spike was directing the same movie that his actors were in sometimes. And God, I don't want that to sound offensive. It just felt... It just felt a little bit tangled to me. There were so many moments where the performances felt like if they're going to go into that melodramatic place, then the whole movie has to shift into that. There are so many times where he was trying to present it as realism, and then they would act in such a way Hmm. that it made me think about the actors. And I know those guys are great fucking actors. I'm not concerned about these gentlemen at all. They have all the talent in the world. We've seen them do amazing things. So there was something off. In the communication between Spike and these guys, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. It just, do you agree with that? Do you feel like it was that melodramatic thing? Just whenever it would seep into that, it, it, that's not the right word. Whenever it would abrasively switch into that very quickly, 
with a monologue or something like that. It never felt earned. And it always made me feel like the actors were standing out like kind of a, you know, a, a, an over the top performance, which is never what you want to feel in a, in a melodramatic style. So I'm just not even sure what he was, what he was trying to do specifically. And God, again, I don't want to sound like too critical. It just, it kept making me think about it. I mean, you were, you were walking the line there to be in buzz. So I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jeff, what, Jeff, what do you think? Do you agree with that? Or did it, did you feel the same I, way about the performances? I, I, I got mean in 2021. I, I do. Yeah. I think I do. I, and, and I'm with you because I'm, I'm obviously always team Spike, but I, I'm definitely team performances in this. Obviously, I praise Chad enough. And then Delroy is getting all the love in the world, um, which he should. He's amazing. Um, I love Clark Peters. I loved him in Treme. I, I, obviously, he was great in The Wire and I, all the other guys we've talked about before. But I, I, I bring up Clark Peters because he handled the melodrama well. Um, but I think he handled it better than the movie did is, I think, what you were saying. So, for instance, when he sees his former lover from Vietnam and it's just full on, it's almost opera, like it's just full on. And I guess that's OK. But then when you cut right out of it and you're in a completely new tone, it catches me off guard and then I lose the spark. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, um, so yeah, I, I, I guess I would go that. So that we're team performers here. The, the, the work, I think, was great. Not, there's one that I didn't love as much as the other ones, but th- three out of the four of them I, I really, really loved. And yeah, that's cool. Just really quickly, I know we've mentioned him a couple of times, but Delroy Lindo is, he has worked with Spike many, many, many times, uh, Crooklyn mm-hmm. and so, so many other movies he's been in. And he, despite what I just said, he has some moments that I don't know have worked with me, but as an actor and as a performance, like what a role, what it, event, I'm not going to spoil this one, what his role eventually builds to, what you ultimately learn, yeah. what his conflict is, the man is dealing with a lot. And once you finally get there, you understand why he is so intense and manic and on edge and MAGA yeah. and, you know, it, all the things. So, like, that's a very that is yeah. a powerful performance. And I hope people watch it. If nothing else, for him to see what he gets to do, he has the most interesting art. And why the sure. story tries to do that with four different people when his is so clearly the standout. Right. It's like his is yeah, his call, his dude. little what has he been fighting for this whole movie is just better than the others. And it, uh, it's just yeah, more compelling. I, good call. Yeah, well said. Dave, anything else? Sweet. I think we covered it. Nice. Thanks. So this is a really great Obviously, movie. Still See worth this watching. movie. See <laughs> yeah. this movie. Yeah. Watch it. It is, yeah. it is great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right, people. Yes. Well, we are going to take a quick break so that we can restock. And then we are going to come back with our presumed Razzie favorite, which, of course, is Robert Downey Jr. in <laughs> Do Little. See you soon, film fans. <laughs> That's Jeff's first yell of the year. Yeah, trying to clip my brand new microphone here. Oh my gosh, people. Yeah, you upgraded. I hope you enjoyed our I hope you enjoyed our segment about Defy Bloods. Just to reiterate, we did like this movie and really, really think it's worth a watch, especially if you have not already on Netflix. Give it a shot. We are gonna segue now into our presumed Razzie movie. Again, this is not our distinction. Mm -hmm. Uh, we saw this. It certainly did get a lot of nominations online though. Yeah, the the betters yeah, are yeah. betting on Doolittle, all right? So Doolittle, this is Robert Downey Jr. This came out in January. It was supposed to come out in 2019, and then it was dumped to January of 2020, which I said earlier in the episode definitely raised a lot of eyebrows of insiders who know that big movies that come out in January usually means no awards buzz, usually means that Dead Zone 
after the year ends. Um, and it might mean the movie the movie could be bad. Now, it's not exactly true, but Metacritic has a 26 out of 100 for this movie. Um, and IMDb has a 5.6. And Rotten Tomatoes has 13%. Ooh. 13%. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Back to the twenty. Back to the twenty twenty nine. This came out January the thirteenth. January seventeenth. Beginning of twenty. January seventeenth. Yeah. Well, and also it was supposed to come out in twenty nineteen, and apparently it did so poorly with test audiences that they did twenty one days of reshoots. Um, Now, what's funny Mm -hmm. about this is so Robert Downey Jr. had not made a non Marvel movie since twenty fourteen when he did The Judge, and he had a cameo in Chef. So we're now waiting, if you say 2019 was when it was supposed to come out, five years of only playing Iron Man. And then the first movie he does after all of that is Doolittle, which ultimately, you know, it's fine. I loved the Eddie Murphy one when I was younger, and this was going to be very live action. The animals were going to look fucking real. And it's a kid's movie. It's a kid's this is movie. a kid's movie. And, All right. Although he did, he did by his own admission, uh, describe the accent he uses for this character as possible Welsh. Nice. Yeah, that's really that's funny. Yeah. But again, kids movie. <laughs> who the fuck cares uh, if you're a kid? Yeah. So the the description about this particular one is I'm actually going to read the longer one. So on IMDb, this is the longer one. This this actually doesn't happen in the movie necessarily, but it's sort of uh, talked about after his wife's death. Doctor John Doolittle, Robert Downey Jr decided to hide from the world with his beloved animals, who he can talk to. But he has to take a journey to a (laughs) mysterious island to find a healing tree, which is the only medicine that can help the dying Queen Victoria, ever heard of her, in Buckingham Palace. All right. So this is rated PG for some action, rude humor, and it says brief language, but there's no language, all right? Now, the supporting yeah. cast who voices all of the animals includes... There's like five Oscar winners in there. Five, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Emma Thompson, mm-hmm. Oscar winner. Rami Malek, Oscar winner. John Cena, awesome guy. Kumail Nanjiani, <laughs> Oscar nominee. Octavia Spencer, uh, Oscar winner. Tom Holland, a.k.a. Spider-Man, way too young to have an Oscar. Craig Robinson, Ray Fiennes, Oscar nominee, Selena Gomez. So you're talking about a really cool cast. And then, of course, how could I forget Antonio Banderas. And in real life, you actually see Michael Sheen and Jim Broadbent, Oscar winner. So awesome, awesome, awesome cast. Um, It's Dr. Doolittle. Yeah, the story is he's a recluse out in the woods in the middle of nowhere. And then a girl who is, who is she? She's related to Queen Victoria somehow. Gets him to go to... He has to go to find a mysterious yeah, tree. Rose, he goes on this little they journey. They don't really fill that out. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It, it's, it's him talking to animals, and he has to save Queen Victoria from dying. Yada, 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 yada. And, and Michael Sheen, who's awesome, is the villain of the movie, which is cool. Or he's one of them. Okay, him and so just, just, uh, just bear with me on this. It's a kid's movie. Yeah, I said that, yeah. And in the first five, in the first five minutes, they kill his wife and shoot a squirrel. <laughs> Some of those kids' movies yeah, are, dr- are dark at the beginning, man. Some of those kids- tales, that's yeah. poor squirrel. That kid Shit just fucking shot that squirrel. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's like that but is also, what, that was like I must I must say that that inciting incident led to my favorite fucking character in the film. That squirrel is awesome. That squirrel is he's yeah. the only one that has Kevin, some like I, Kevin. Yeah, layers. I can't even think about it. I can't even think about it with him saying, "Oh, he might be a little twitchy," and then they just see the this the like apocalypse now flashback 
that the squirrels have and he sits up and he's like revenge and I pissed myself laughing the cannon fire the cannon is even there and he's got the as Star Trek fans he's got the captain's log going throughout yes yeah my favorite character I did want to kick it off by saying my overall impression of this movie, because we're probably going to be very critical of this, but my overall impression when it finished was if I was a kid, I think I would have loved this movie. I think if I would have been introduced to this as a child, I would have rewatched this a lot. There's a good sense of adventure. The characters are fun. Uh, The CGI is is good enough for you to have a really good time with it. You're not going to be thinking about some of the stuff that as adults we might critique in a little bit. So if you just want the adventure, you want him to get on that fucking boat with animals and go find the healing tree or whatever, like you're going to have a good time. It's an hour and a half. It's tight. It's a good kids movie. Uh, I think part of the problem was that it came out in January and they, I don't know if they pitched it as a, as a children's only movie. I think it was pitched as like family friendly and RDJ is in this. So, you know, adults Mm. can see it too. And I think if yeah. you went into it with that, you might be a little disappointed because there's some issues with it for sure. But if you allow yourself to just think, I have children, or if I did have children, what would they think watching this? I think you're going to smile a lot while you're The first while time you're I saw the trailer. I must, I must admit, there was a, a lot of conversation happened in, uh, in our house. Again, conversations about these movies happen because like, Therese watches them with me half the time. But right. it was, you know, I was like, why, why did, were people so hard on this? And she said, her answer was Pixar. Because now people demand adult jokes in the kids' film and this Oscar-winning level in your kids' film. And if it's not that, and everybody went in expecting, you know, it's Robert Downey Jr., he's Iron Man. And you didn't give him Iron Man and they wanted more Iron Man. And yeah, I I just think everybody went in with the wrong frame of mind and this got way more flack than it should have. Definitely wrong frame of mind. To her her point, maybe in a critical way, because I agree with her, I think if Pixar had written this movie, it would have been better. I think they're they're just there's better storytellers. I feel like there was some. I just want to point this out because I just thought it was so strange. I looked so up the director won yeah, an Oscar. The writer director has an Oscar too, what, by the way, for traffic. and he has it for. To, so I was just about to say this man, his name. If anybody is curious, this was directed Stephen by Gaggin. Stephen Gaggin. He is the Oscar award winning writer for Traffic and Syriana. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy has written heavy stuff and then yeah. he wrote and directed this movie. So part of me was kind of thinking like, of course, I'm so happy for him. I'm glad he got an opportunity to direct. But part of me was thinking like, I'm, that's, that's, I'm wondering, that, did he write the is first, is he a victim? He wrote the first five minutes and they were like, they got the new, rolled up the newspaper and went, no, no, more, more kid stuff, more kid stuff. More kid stuff. Stop okay, killing yeah, people. I'm curious if he, why he, one, why he wrote this and it, how, it, how it came into him getting a chance to direct it. Cause clearly he comes from like very heavy, a heavy dramatic political commentary, socio socio commentary, and then he wrote and directed Doolittle. So I thought that was a little strange. Um, but again, throwing that out the window, I uh, I thought if you had the kid thing, it was gonna it, it was fun. In terms of the actual filmmaking and story, if we were just storyboarding this and we're in our room and we're looking at the the whiteboard, the giant whiteboard of how we're gonna tell our story, I do think there are some moments that I, I'm curious if they shot and cut some transitional things that didn't seem to kind of work for me. It felt really jumpy the way we... When they test screened this, they they test screened this and then brought in like Seth Rogen and three other people to do rewrites. They brought in Seth Rogen to do rewrites for this writer, but what an interesting ask. Like they were clearly looking for, they're probably looking for (laughs) for funny too. Like it probably wasn't funny enough. I mean, that's pretty much where, that's pretty much where the fart gags and the, the dragon anima came from. I'm pretty sure. That was a pretty weird moment. <laughs> like, well, so it's funny. So speaking of Seth Rogen, 
and back to maybe like what what happened with the way they rolled this out some of you back like listening to this podcast might not even realize that this movie ever happens I mean, a lot happened in 2020, so it was, you know, it's easy to forget something that, ha- that came out in January. I saw, with Chloe, The Lion King in theaters in, Ooh. like, August or September of 2019. And that's when I first saw the trailer for this. And I remember the trailer, Robert Downey Jr. barely spoke, which, after that's hearing why. his accent, yeah. you know, which is fine, I guess. No, but but no, I'm not surprised not. now. But they... They listed it as, or they listed it, the trailer was very much an adventure movie, almost along the lines of the Jumanji remakes. So it was really, really like a little intense. So whereas the Eddie Murphy one is just so family friendly without like right off the bat and like all of the, you know what, I I didn't expect to to compare to the Eddie one, but here's what I'll say too about this that I think I understand people because we we all like this movie way more than the Razzies are going to. Um, so I'll just say to, just to just to bite back a little bit, Robert Downey Jr.'s voice, forgetting the accent, was very stiff. And Robert Downey Jr. we know to be one of the more animated performers of our of our time, right? His big breakout, apart from being a child star and, and well, like a young adult star and um, being on Saturday Night Live in the 80s was Chaplin mm. in 1992. Like this guy fucking played Chaplin. And he obviously Did Iron he, Man and all of his yeah. other Did animated he say much performances. His voice trapped him. Like he, he <laughs> did he say much in Chaplin? Did I mention? Get the fuck out of here. So his voice. So he just his voice trapped him because his voice. I, I can't do a Welsh accent, but it was always the same okay, decibel volume. It was always you know. So so anyway, when you go to Eddie, when Eddie's reacting to being able to talk to these animals, and he's like freaking out about being able to talk to these animals, like as the audience, you're you're with him because you're. I'd be freaking out if I started talking to a tiger too. Um, with this, he's already 20 years past that point, and so it's, it goes right into the plot. And so, you know, you lose a little bit of the fun that you could have had. Again, I'm not trying to give them notes, but I, I understand the critics being a, a, kind of down on this movie, especially giving it a lot to Robert Downey Jr., but... I still think it's worth watching. I still think there's a lot of fun to be had in there, but but you can definitely you can definitely see the opportunity. And you can for, see for where more. there was a little bit of collaboration between the directors and the CG artists uh, in the what they could get these animals to do, because like there's some great gags with like the ostrich. There's some great gags with the monkeys uh, where they're just sitting there sloping coconuts in the background of a scene. Um, the fucking yeah. dog guard duty scene. It's like engage guards guard duty mode and then just starts dragging his ass across the carpet it's like it's like you know there's so many fun (laughs) gags with the animals and they they, i feel like sometimes it like most times it it really paid off it was great i had so much fun like because i animals the animals independently yeah i thought that worked jeff to your point i think what i was hoping for i was like okay so doolittle is well into this so what does that mean and they tried to give it to us but i wanted the kids the young man and the young woman to be my surrogate and they didn't freak out. Yeah, exactly. They didn't have as much of what you're talking about as I needed to justify what the fuck I was watching. Like whether, whether it's a kid's movie or not, like you still need characters to go on that journey yeah. of like, how is this happening? So here's a good example. At the very beginning of this, um, maybe 20 minutes into this movie, your exposition is already, hap- is already happened. The young boy and the young girl find themselves at the door to do little manner. And they open the door or they, you know, knock and a gorilla opens the door. And even though we're in on the joke that this gorilla is kind of a scaredy cat, or we're we're learning that in this process, the children did not react accordingly. Even if you have heard about, oh, yeah, grandmother or Aunt Victoria, Queen Victoria told me a gorilla would answer the door. Come on, give me a little bit of what is happening so that we can justify the the absurdity of the fact that this guy talks to animals. 
he puts his head in a fish tank to talk to an octopus <laughs> and nobody in the room. Now I know it's stuffy and I right. know it's in Queen, Queen Victoria's house, but, but yeah, like I, I need, I need it. Like again, back to the Eddie one, which I, I again, didn't mean to talk about too much. The best part about the tiger, which is sort of like the dangerous animal in the Eddie yeah. Murphy one is Eddie reacting to the tiger. That makes the tiger so much better. So my, my favorite animal in this, but let's do this. So I, what is your favorite animal obviously the squirrel is going to be up there but i loved the ostrich to your point before but it was for the snarky humor because the ostrich was the one that was basically like this sucks before, just before you answer that <laughs> chris sucks. i don't know whether you got the chat up but chris just popped out and said hi he's just found us um we're talking chris about Doolittle. anyone yeah anyone in the chat we're talking about Doolittle. uh feel free Fuck to yeah, share hazard. your opinions hazard so yeah. good to, we, we talked about you with grease too a little bit last time we saw you chris thanks so much for coming back oh my god <laughs> so anyway I, I i love the ostrich he had one of my favorite lines because he's a big animal so um, one of the kids rides the or maybe it's actually down he rides the ostrich who's voiced by kumail and mm. somebody says something like have a nice ride and the ostrich is like i am the ride <laughs> and yeah, that's just like horses. stupid childish humor yeah. which is fun but it did have a little yeah. bit of the effect of like the live lion king where with the animals talking and it was just there like animals being snarky which is fun but the stakes the stakes are still what keeps them an hour and a half movie going and, and i could use more stakes yeah and how do you build stakes in a situation like this where, the, where your protagonist the center of your story mm-hmm. is doing something that is completely normal to them you have to make it completely abnormal to everyone else so you're exactly right the moments in Victoria's bedroom when she's sick and there's like 20 people in there. I wanted everyone to be, even if he has a reputation and you've heard of it before and we're 20 years into Doolittle's yeah. story, it still has to be ridiculous <laughs> and frustrating and crazy to everyone in the room. So uh, Michael Sheen was my saving grace a little bit. Yeah. He's wonderful in this. Part of me wanted him to be Doolittle. He was saying, saying what you were thinking. Maybe they should have put him as Doolittle. Yeah, yeah, it's good. <laughs> Yeah, but I wanted Jim Broadbent, who is a genius, and I wanted yeah. all, everyone else in the room to be a little bit more like, what the yeah. fuck is going on? So that it wasn't <laughs> gimmicky. It's not gimmicky if if Doolittle is doing it in spite of the absurdity and in spite of everybody's reactions. It felt a little gimmicky when everyone is just like, this is how it is with Doolittle. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. Um, Who's your favorite animal? I, my I was favorite animal was, was Emma Thompson's oh, pig. Nice. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, the squirrel was it for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, a lot of I'll, I'll tell you what though. Like I, I just sat back and had fun with that. Yeah. I didn't think too much about it because you know it's a kids' yeah. movie, and uh, but a, a a lot of the scenes are there just for comedy's sake and have nothing whatsoever to do with the plot. Yeah. So yeah. you get you get these little sketches occasionally where it's like this this animal antic followed by this animal antic. And it's, that's great for kids, but it just comes across as really disjointed for us old folk. Yeah, it's too bad. I think ultimately, I agree with you. And I think the reason that kept, it, this is just my personal diagnosis. I think the reason I kept feeling like that was happening is because, again, Academy Award winning <laughs> writer of Traffic in Syriana, I, I'm not sure if he was quite positive whose point of view this movie was supposed to be told from, if it was the boys point, yeah. or if it was Doolittle's. Mm. And I, I kept wanting him to pick one because part of me felt like I'm not inside Doolittle's head enough to understand how we're getting from A to B to C to D and it, for everything, emotionally and plot-wise. And I, I don't think I would have cared about that at all if the whole movie had been from the boys, but he kept kind of waffling. And I'm not going to even blame him entirely because that sounds to me like that's a studio saying we got to fix this let's make it more funny let's call seth rogan and then the editing got tweaked they reshot a bunch of shit and the through line was blown to shit and the point of view was, point of view was perhaps blown to shit you're not wrong but i still had to buzz, you. buzz more no i don't know so i'm not saying it was but, but i wouldn't be surprised if that would happen 
Do, do you guys agree with that? The point of view kind of maybe have been why some of these situations and the gagginess kind of kept coming up when it didn't need to come up. Yeah, I guess it felt forced sometimes. Yeah. Mm. The adventure was yeah. fine, I guess. I mean, it, it was it mm. was definitely one where they panicked <laughs> and went, we need to fix this because people yeah. ticked the box and didn't like it. And, it, I mean, sadly, that's happening more and more. And the results, you know, in the case, and the, the movie I brought up uh, for our, like, New Year's show, New Mutants, uh, which we're touching on later um, mm-hmm. as well. It was same similar thing happened with that. And I, I won't it. say too much about it now, but like they went um, full circle yeah, with sure. that thing. Yeah. I, I will say uh, back to, I keep like doing the little nitpicky shit. At one point, because my mom knew I was taking notes, I watched this with my parents. Um, my mom just goes, you're laughing, Jeff. Which I guess is her way of saying, don't you shit on this movie. <laughs> like you, you like this guy. You were laughing. Get the fuck out of here with your notes and yeah. your criticism. Yeah. You liked it. I was like, all right, all right. It's true. We laughed. We had, we laughed. I just, I, I just got to interrupt quickly because I'm pretty sure everyone can hear that. But uh, someone is hammering the fuck out of the boiler in my boiler room at the moment. It's coming up through the pipes, oh, nice. which are right next to my okay. computer. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I can't. So, I That's guess, I guess they're for fixing sure. it. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Or yeah, or they're killing Jeff, somebody I, against the boiler. I don't know. It could be could be either. I agree though, Jeff. I feel like I, I kept telling myself, like, even when there were th- this is this is the the endearing nature of this movie, is that even when there were moments as an adult person who's in the movies and was trying to think, you know, maybe not too critically, but I can't help but think critically about it. Even when I noticed problems, and there are problems, I didn't care that much. The, the the nature of this kind of story, the adventure, the, the production design is great. You feel like you're in that world. Yeah. The Doolittle Manor, I want to go play there. You know, as a kid, like I wish I was invited to that place. And we get to go on a, a fucking, you know, sea adventure on a ship. We get to go sail across the world. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think it's still, if you allow right. yourself to just kind of go there and not be too judgmental and to Teresa's point, not to hold it up to the genius of Pixar standards, mm. then I think you're still going to have a good time. Like yeah. so many Razzie considerations no. in movies, this movie was not the worst movie you've ever seen. Like no. it's, it's miles away it, from it, that. Yeah, I mean, it's a decent movie. I, I would not even put it in. I, I think a lot of people like to pile on once the negativity starts and it's so easy on the internet because it's anonymous. Um, but I like, I'll stand up where everyone knowing who I am I and agree. say, no, this, this probably doesn't deserve to be in the Razzie category. It's not the worst thing. I agree. It, it was no, just I, I will very, very misinterpreted. <laughs> there is a, there is, there are two awards that this movie has uh, has already been nominated for or received. Uh, one is the People's Choice Awards, where just to show what Jeff was saying earlier about how sometimes people like Sandra Bullock, she won a Razzie and then she won a fucking Oscar. Like, mm, what's that she about? Didn't deserve the People's a Razzie. Choice Awards. I don't think so. Yeah, of course I agree with that. The People's Choice Awards gave the favorite male movie star, nominating him for this performance as Doolittle. And then the other award they won is the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, the sequel or remake that should never have been me- remade. Yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's just, it's just show you like, you can't, you can't judge everything based on what mm, you no. hear from one and article. So if you had I just, only I just seen want to that point out that one, those journalists probably encompass a lot of film critics who are really just trying to get your attention. Yeah, which is why I, Robert I Downey so Jr. Too. nominating for him this shit is just, he's an A-list star and, and you, you're always rooting for, you yeah in our darkest selves we're rooting for an a-list star to give a shitty performance that we can we call that tall poppy syndrome yeah nice yeah (laughs) yeah because other than his accent which is 
weird. I, like, I still think his voice is weird. Yeah, I don't totally. know what it's supposed to sound like, but I, I, it was strange. It's strange in Sherlock Holmes. Like I understand mm. how it bothers a lot of people because he's so brilliant in other things. And Jeff and I have talked about this before on this pod for sure. Like sometimes you want your personality actors to remain personality. Not everyone's Joaquin Phoenix and Daniel Day right. Lewis, and you know, not everyone has that style. I want my RDJ to look and sound like RDJ. I think he's a fucking genius when he does that stuff. And he didn't need to go do this movie and try to do an accent to impress me. However, mm. I, I was still able to right. kind of let it go. I didn't know what the fuck he was doing. I didn't know what accent that was, but yeah. it, it didn't really I, I ruin think, the movie for I, me. I think there were there were like there were a couple of times where straight up I thought, okay, he's made a choice there that he probably should have been corrected on. Yeah, where was his dialect coach? Yeah, <laughs> like who let him do that? Oh my gosh. Well, I think that's good for this. Know. This is uh, on Disney Plus. No, it's not. It's on HBO Max. HBO, this HBO film's Max. On HBO yeah. Max right now. Have some fun, especially if you have kids. Of course, if the kids in the movie were more fleshed out, the kids would probably like it even more. But, you know, watch it with your kids. Good family fun. Mm. So that's it. <laughs> you didn't get away with that. <laughs> right at the bottom. Okay, friends. Well, this has been a really, really fun first episode in our... It was the best of film. It was the worst of Season film two. segment. We're off. Oscar film, Razzie yeah. film, Defy Bloods. Again, yeah. Check out their, the social media stuff. We're going to post our whole slate so that you can try to, because every obviously everything we're talking about are new movies. So we want you to try to watch these with us so we mm. don't have to worry too much about spoilers. We want to have full in-depth conversations. So check out the social media so you can make sure and see what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. So you can catch up with us and watch it on the streaming service. And just in case you're right here right now, yeah, next week we're uh, doing my personal favorite from last year, Palm Springs. Um, nice. And a film called The Last Thing He Wanted. And what streaming services are those on? I have no idea. I'll, po- I'll, post, I'll post on the Facebook page. Yeah. Palm Springs, <laughs> Palm Springs is on Hulu. Palm Springs is on Hulu. And, the last, it. and the last Thing He Wanted is on Netflix. So both of those are ready and available to stream right now. <laughs>